getting to look a lot. Snow and more snow. Get out the snowshoes and the shovels. Welcome to Life Church. It is great to see you today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor, and we're delighted to have you with us this weekend as a part of your Thanksgiving weekend celebration. And hopefully you wore your stretchy pants. The staff had some for me backstage, and my wife kind of said, no, you're not wearing those out. And I said, yes, ma'am. And here I am. And uh, But uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me today to Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. I'm going to get there in just a minute. Luke, chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. But I want to take a minute just to brag on you, if that's okay. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we gave you the opportunity, as we do every year, to do One Day to Feed the World, where we challenge you as a congregation to take one day's wage and give it to the poor. And, uh, and so and you uh, always amazingly just, uh, just are so generous and give us such generosity. And so I just usually sometimes there's people that are traveling and online and I need to get that to you next week or whatever. Da, 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 da. And so I kind of give it a couple of weeks before we get kind of have a, a grand total. But you gave $92,402.37. That's 15 trailers. That's awesome of food and supplies and to, to people uh, that are in need. And uh, through Convoy of Hope is the partner organization that we partner with on that. So I just want to say thank you for your incredible generosity uh, to, that, oh, that you give with and that you've given with and that you continue to give with. And, and again, there's opportunities all throughout this Christmas season to do more than just financially do something, but for the Angel Tree uh, and ministering to families that are in need. Uh, during this holiday season, during this Christmas season. And then as well as you leave today, there are wreaths. You can actually pick them up. And, and uh, the uh, Life Kids Elementary are selling those. And all the proceeds are going to missions. Uh, that's the one thing uh, that we, we made a decision years and years and years ago that we would not fundraise at the church with the exception of missions. And so anytime there is something beyond, uh, beyond uh, uh, operational expenses that are, that are, that's missions-minded, then we give opportunities for, for the various departments of the church to do that. But because of your incredible generosity with your tithe and with your giving, all of the departments and their budgets and their needs to be able to do everything that they're doing is all taken care of because of your incredible generosity. So I just wanted to say thank you, Life Church, for being that type of a church. And for just and just your, your generosity in that way. And as we began this Christmas season, I want to talk to you today, uh, it should be of no surprise to you, about the family dinner table. Is that all right? This is the dinner table. I'm going to talk about food for a little bit. And um, like you haven't had enough of that. But, but, you know, if you look at most of the American holidays, uh, they're not built around uh, a table except for when you get to Thanksgiving through Christmas. There typically are tables that are set. The rest of the holidays, Easter is about going to church and outdoor Easter egg hunts, unless it's a snow blizzard coming in Wisconsin, right? Uh, it's the summertime, Memorial Day, Labor Day, Fourth of July. That's always, I mean, it's barbecue. We're going to eat, amen? But, but it's about, you know, you can just have a plate and, and a solo cup and just in your lap, and you can just eat and go to town. But there's something that happens at Thanksgiving that we have the dinner table. 
And so the table's decorated and, and the food is prepared and it's all about gathering around that dinner table and, and you stop to say grace and you're thankful for what God's done in the previous year and, and for the people that are around the table and maybe not for everybody but for some of the people, right? And um, we're in church, let's be honest. And then, and then Christmas is the same thing. We'll, we'll come to church and, and we'll, we'll have Christmas Eve service and and we will open gifts and presents. But at some point during that Christmas, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day celebration, there's again is another dinner table. And the dinner table is a very, very, very spiritual place. And I'm going to show you that in just a minute. And I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving. I mean, I, we went to Arkansas, and I saw, like, third and fourth cousins that I hadn't seen in years. Uh, I saw my mother invited everybody from the hicks and the sticks they came. And so, I mean, it was there. I, people that I had never met before, uh, because of the Internet, I can't tell all the stories I really would like to tell you that you would be amused. And I, it's rolling in my mind right now, but they communicated to me, oh, we've seen you preaching online. Oh, yeah, we've never met you, but we watch your weekend broadcast, so hello. And and so I, I'm like, well, I, I can't say some things I'd like to say, and, and it was great and good and whatever, but, but it's just, it's amazing, right? And then you get to just eat and eat. And so I started early, man. I, I started early and eating, and, and, and my mom had pies, and so when we landed on Tuesday night, and my brother picked us up from the airport in Memphis. We went to my mom and dad's, and I mean, my mother already had started baking, and there was a chocolate cake, and there was there was a lemon ice box pie, which is my favorite. And um, so it's just so I began to eat right then and there. And the next morning, it was biscuits and gravy and fried eggs. And let's see what else. And she had hash browns. Amen. Glory to God. Homemade biscuits. Did I already say that? Two pans full. We ate all of those. And then we were going to a little shop my wife wanted to go to. And so we went over there where there was this neat little cafe. And so they had, had purple whole peas. Some of you people don't know what I'm talking about. But just this is all going to be at the marriage supper of the lambs. So if you want to write this down, get ready for heaven. There were lima beans. It was all done in meat grease. The best green beans I've ever had in my life. And I've been to Paula Deans. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I'm just telling you, like, incredible uh, yeast rolls. I'm just going through. What else did I have there? Fried okra? I can't remember. It was good. Oh, oh, and cheesy grits with a little bit of pepper jack cheese. Sweet Jesus. I'm just telling you, it was amazing. And that wasn't even the main deal. And then, and then that night we had Mexican because you have to offset your palate, right? Because <laughs> you're going to have home cooking the next day. So you, you either sandwich that between Mexican or Italian the day before, Mexican or Italian the day after, whichever, because you need to kind of offset that a bit. So I did that, and then the next morning, of course, Krispy Kreme. We were driving, and the hot light's on. And it's a rule in my, in my house. I don't know if it is in your house, but it should be. If the hot light's on, you stop. We were on our way to eat dinner, and my daughter, Ava, says, Dad, the hot light's on. I say, you know, that's the law. We have to stop. <laughs> Hallelujah. So we walked out there with free donuts and two dozen. Two dozen. Oh, I knew it was going to be a great day the next morning. So we went. I had sour cream chicken enchiladas, my favorite, and chips and salsa. And da 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 da. Go to the Walt Mall and walk it off. Get a milkshake on the way too. Praise His name. Amen. And then and then and a cup of coffee. And then get home. Of course, there's pie. Mother's made more pies. So I have a little bit more pie to eat. Is this anybody? I'm just telling you. I'm just sad to be right here right now. I'm just saying right now. And so, I, and then, then the next morning we start, well, of course, mom doesn't want to cook and everything's closed except for the little tiger mark down. There is one stoplight in the town where my mom and dad live. The internet doesn't go out to their house. They have to figure out how to, it's crazy. And so anyhow, my, my, my daughter, my 16-year-old says, this is the edge of the earth, dad. 
this is the edge of the earth. And so anyhow, so, so of course, you have to eat those Krispy Kremes, right? So just started eating my way through Krispy Kremes, and, and then everybody showed up, and I got cleaned up, and, and then we had Thanksgiving Day, and I had all the same things you did. And, and, and I'll never forget, man, Thanksgiving is just a great day to eat. Amen? Am I getting you excited at all? I'll get to the message in a minute. But, <laughs> but like, I remember a few years ago, we were, we were going, and I had Chinese food the day before. I don't ever do that anymore because I got sick. I got food poisoning. And the entire day of Thanksgiving, I'm in the bed completely out of it sick. And I know, it's just complete quiet. Silence filled, filled the room. And uh, that, that restaurant has since closed down because of, of, of issues, of, of health issues. And so and I didn't know that at the time, and so I was chomping me on some egg rolls and, and, uh, and everything and just got sick. And there's nothing worse than being sick on a holiday like that when you're ready to eat. And so this year, man, there was no sickness. I just ate and ate. And then what do you do when you're done eating? You go recline in the recliner. And even if the football game is on and you don't want to watch it, you still just watch it because you're going to sleep anyhow, right? <laughs> and you're out only to wake up again and do what? Eat. Thank the Lord for Thanksgiving. And then I went down. Remember I told you the Tiger Mart? Because I know about this. It's open. So I went to the Tiger Mart because I had pizza because I need to offset my food palate because I've had too much home cooking. And so I do that and ate an entire Supreme Pizza almost by myself. Amen. I know. You look at me and you go, he is so skinny. It's just spanks. It's like a can of biscuits. When I get home, it just pops, right? There it is. So, but all of this happens around a dinner table. And for some of you, it may not have been as joyous. For some of you, there might have been somebody missing at the dinner table this year. And you miss them. For some of you, there might have been a lot of tension around the dinner table. Been there. For some of you, you were having to see people that you really didn't want to see and interact with people you really didn't want to interact with because there were just been some, well, it's just not good. The dinner table is a place where we all kind of can come together and at least in some way be somewhat peaceable with one another because the table signifies community. The table symbolizes the, the, a sense of community that we're all kind of, our feet are all under this same table. Whether you're at the kid's table, been there, or you're, you know, you're at the adult table or you're all at the same table. And the Bible talks about this in, in the Gospel of Luke. Luke has almost two dozen references to Jesus or people being at the table, conversing at the table, relaxing at the table, eating at the table, almost two dozen times. And so I, what I want to do is I want to just look at one of those, just drop in on one of those table experiences. And I want to talk to you about the power of the dinner table. And I'm going to kind of bring it full circle for all of us in a very spiritual sense. Because here's what I do want you to get in a very serious way, if you can take me serious. Eating is spiritual. And the table is very spiritual. And so Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 36, we see that Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's house. Uh, he would be a religious leader of the day. So he would have been someone of, of, of note, of, of affluence, of, of, of much prestige in, in, the, in the Jerusalem community of that day and time. And so Jesus has brought some disciples with him. Uh, there's also other dinner guests that are there. And there, this is a dinner party, and they're seated at, the, seated at the dinner table. Verse 36, and when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. 
And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair. And she kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, is, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now notice he doesn't say this. He's saying this to himself. He's thinking this. Look at verse 40. Jesus answered him. Not directly, he talks to Simon Peter. He said, Simon, I have something to tell, tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender, and one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who, the, who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Verse 44, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you do not give me any water for my feet, but yet she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them from her hair. And you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I've entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, but whoever has forgiven little, excuse me, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, this is out loud, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So this is all happening around a dinner table. And as I've said, Luke's gospel records almost two dozen times where there is the significant occurrences happening around the table. Luke, who, Dr. Luke, the physician who writes the gospel of Luke, also is the writer of the book of Acts. Many theologians kind of put these two as kind of a part one, part two of, of Jesus, and then part two of the, the, the birth of the New Testament church. In Luke's Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts that he writes, one-fifth of all the sentences in those two books are surrounded or around a meal playing a role. One-fifth of all the sentences of what Luke will write about will be around this dinner table concept, around a meal, around food. That's why I say food is very spiritual. Because here's what's happening. There are two worlds that are converging together when you sit around the dinner table. There is a, there, there is a, a physical need that God the Creator gives you and I as a creation to be able to eat and be able to drink. It's, it's how we are, we are wired, that we have to have food in which to operate. We have to have water in which to live. And so there's this natural desire but there's also an eternal emotional desire that we all have and that's a relationship we all want to know and be known we want to love and be loved we want to admonish and be admonished we want to encourage and be encouraged we need each other the bible says woe to a man who's alone 
Jesus even looked at Adam when he created him in perfection and said, it's not good that he is alone. I will make a helper for him. We need each other. That's the reason why the book of Hebrews says to forsake not the gathering of ourselves together as a church and do it even so much more as we see the, the, the day of, of Jesus Christ's return approaching. We need each other. We need to be around each other. We need to be with each other, even when we get on each other's nerves. Amen? Even the people in our family that we don't like everybody because we've got in-laws and outlaws. Come on, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. We need each other because even those people that irritate us began to work to develop us. That friction produces a certain amount of pain, but that pain can create a, 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 an elasticity in us, a growth in us, a character in us that Paul says is developed in us. And so when, around the table, there is this physical need that's being met, but there's also this social need that's being met. But when Jesus comes into the place, he shows an entire spiritual dynamic that takes place around the table that will never cease. Notice this. We began with this, these conversations around the table. We, we, we have these traditions around the table. And, and we're going to learn later about how Jesus tells us to, to remember his death around the table. And then when we get to heaven, the Bible says that for the first thousand years, we will eat around the table for a thousand years. That's why I'm going to heaven. That's why I think Jesus is great. Y'all can serve any other God you want to serve, but a God that's going to feed me for a thousand years, I'm in, all, all in, right? Amen. But the reality is, is that this is a dynamic that is very spiritual. And there are three things that happen. There are three actions that occur every time we're gathered around the dinner table. It happened at Thanksgiving at your house, and it happened here, and it will happen in heaven. First of all, there's a replenishment that takes place. You're replenished. Verse 30, 36 and 37, you're replenished. You're taking in food to eat, which physically sustains you. But notice the posture that Jesus has. Luke says he's reclining at the table. It's like when you've eaten a great meal and then you just begin to rest. You kind of just sit at the table. Like, you know, you kind of have small talk at the beginning, and, and, then, and then you pray, and then, and then everybody begins to eat, and you're eating, and all of that kind of deal. But then you kind of sit, like at that time when coffee's being served, but before a dessert comes, and you're just relaxing at the table. You're conversing at the table. There, there, there's a depth to the relationship that goes deeper at the table. You just, you stay at the table. There's this replenishment that happens. We see this happening. Not only do, 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 we, do we feel this when we're at the dinner table physically today, but we see this here in verse 36 and 37. Every time we're around the table, we are nourished. We're replenished. It, but the second thing that happens is that there's a relationship. There's always a relationship. There's a relationship and a relational component that gathers us and that keeps us around the table. Verse 39 through 46. In the same way that we're connected at the table through relationship, Jesus does as well in this passage. So the thing that brought me around the dinner table at Thanksgiving was relationship. It's my mother and my father's house. I'm invited to go. My family's there. I have cousins that are there. I, I have my brothers there, and, 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 and there's other, and an aunt and uncle, and, and there's other family members that are there. there. There were friends that were invited. It's all through relationship that you got invited to sit at that table. If you didn't have relationship, you wouldn't be there. If someone showed up that no one knew, we would be, well, my mother would invite them in. That's my mom, but, but, but welcome to Southern Hospitality. But, but the reality is, is that you're there because you were invited. So it's true at your house. 
People don't just show up at other people's houses. You got to really be tight to have refrigerator rights. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Refrigerator rights so you can walk into somebody's house and open the fridge and get out what you want to get out. Like, you've got to really be tight to do that. Most people, you get shot doing that. You know what I'm talking about? Like, get out of my house. Who are you? And, um, well, I'm your neighbor. Well, I don't know you. I mean, it, there's, a, there's a relational component that draws you to the table. So is true here with Jesus. Jesus was invited by the Pharisee. And the Pharisee had friends, and Jesus had people with him. And I want you to understand that in the first century, and as, as Luke is writing this, the reader would have understood this. That there were certain protocols, just like you have in your home, certain traditions, just like you have in your home, that would be offered towards someone coming into your home. So you invite them to come, just as you would invite them to come. And as they come through the door, when they ring the doorbell, what do you do? You don't just holler at them to come on in or yell at them to come in. You go to the door and you greet them. Hi, so good to see you. Welcome. Come into my home. If it's in the wintertime, there's a, there's a rug usually at the entry, and there's a place to sit down to take off your, your snow boots or your shoes because it's the salt and all the grime from outside, and to be able to take that off. And here, let me take your, your, your coat because we have a coat closet, or, or we'll, we'll take it and we'll, we'll bring it back to you, and, then, and we'll come right on in and here, have a seat in, in the living room before we go into the, 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 the dining room to eat, and, or we're going to go right on into the dining room. But th there's a certain protocol. In the first century, what would have happened, because they're in an outside environment, and, 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 this is, and so they're wearing either barefoot or they're in sandals, they would have had someone at the door that would have washed the feet. So you sit down, and there's a servant that comes in and takes a bowl and washes your feet and cleanses them off and wipes them off, and then, and then you go right on into the house. And then the, and then, then the owner of the home would, would, would greet you. And what, what Jewish men would do, this is the reason why Paul says to greet your brother with a holy kiss, it's is that they would kiss them on the side of the cheek and welcome them into the home and then many times because of the journey and because of whatever they would take oil and they would kind of anoint them or or it was it was a sign of blessing it was a sign of, of a presence of the lord it was just a way of of, of being hospitable and welcoming them into the home and then would come right on in to to eat at the dinner and be seated and where you sat around the table was important and so you allowed the guest excuse me the, the the host to be able to seat you as a guest and and to sit there in that room and, and jesus would have been the, the guest of honor and so this is what would have happened but none of this happens we immediately go from jesus's invitation to he is reclining at the table after he's eaten a meal the meal is so not ungreat that Jesus doesn't even comment on it. And if you read other times, Jesus will comment on what he's eating. It's not even, it's not even a subject of, uh, of thought. And the Pharisee would have been a very affluent man, so he would have been able to have a servant there, and he would have had known the protocol, and, and, and he would have done all of this. But what happens in the middle of this? There is this woman. We don't know her name. She's a sinner. She's not invited. But she hears that Jesus is at the Pharisee's house. Now understand this, Pharisees had nothing to do with sinners. Pharisees would not have interacted with sinners. Men, the Pharisees would not have interacted with, with women. It was very frowned upon. It was, it was, it was, uh, there were societal reasons behind it, religious reasons behind it. If this Pharisee would have come into physical contact with this woman, he would have gone through a ritual cleansing in order to make sure he could go about and do his sacerdotal duties of being a Pharisee. I mean, th this was really big stuff. So this 
sinner coming to his house completely unannounced and uninvited was very unconcerning to him and was very uncomfortable to him, but more so to all the other dinner guests because they began to talk and they began to notice this woman and the Pharisee begins to notice this woman. And who is completely unfazed by it? Jesus. And he just doesn't change his posture. He doesn't move. He doesn't accommodate. He just simply just stays where he is, where he's been asked to sit. And this woman comes in because she hears that Jesus is there. Now, we know Jesus was a friend of sinners. We know that Matthew's gospel tells us that Jesus would show up at dinner parties that he was invited out with the biggest sinners in town. Not that he would involve himself in the sin, but that he would be around these people in the unconditional love that they, that, that they crave, that we all crave, that they couldn't find in a bottle, they couldn't find in a sexual relationship, they couldn't find in sin, they couldn't find in money, they couldn't find in anything else. They were finding it in Jesus, and that's why they kept inviting him and inviting him. And the religious leaders of the day were becoming very upset with this because they couldn't understand it. But the reality is, is that religion has a way to separate man from God. But relationship in Jesus Christ has a way to bring you as a creation to the heart of the Father as a creator. And it removes that division of religion. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And so this woman's attracted. And notice, what does she do? She does the exact same hospitable actions that would have been customary in the day in a completely different way. And she does it in front of this Pharisee who refuses to act in hospitality towards Jesus. She washes his feet. She kisses him in a greeting. And she anoints him. Why? It was about relationship. See, the relationship that the Pharisee had with Jesus as a rabbinical leader in the first century is what brought him to the table. But the action that takes place that Luke focuses on, because Luke's in the room, Luke's watching, seeing what's going on, that's happening, is this exact ideology of relationship, that the table is all about relationship. And everybody else around the table, all the religious church peoples, all the religious busybodies, you know those kind of people. We don't have them at Life Church, but you know what I'm talking about. The kind of church people like to say, well, I'm not going to say anything, but we should pray for so-and-so. And then they... Then they continue to repeat some gossip. You know what I'm talking about? No, you've never been around that before? Okay. Who is this woman? She's a sinner. She's a dead. dead, dead. Even, even the Pharisees thinking to himself, what's going on? And then what does Jesus do? He simply replies and he responds with a parable. Story with a meaning. You've got two guys. One owes 500 denarii, 150 denarii, but the owner forgives both. Who is more grateful? Who is more, the, well, the one that's forgiven more? Right, because, and what he's saying is this woman has dealt with sin and dealt with being an outcast and dealt with being maligned and all of this. That's why she goes to this extent. That's why she goes to this, le, to, 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 to this, this degree of, 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 of worshiping me. And everybody in the room calls it a waste, but Jesus calls it worship. They were indignant. Why? Because the alabaster box, the jar of perfume, would have been a year's salary. If you make $30,000 a year, it's been worth $30,000. If you make $350,000 a year, that costs $350,000. Make it relative to wherever you are. And she takes it, and once it's open, it cannot be used again. It has to be used completely in that moment. And they're indignant. These are wealthy, affluential People that have the ability to, to buy and do all of this, yet they don't even give the common courtesy to Jesus as he comes into the room. Yet this woman who shouldn't know any better and shouldn't have any more gives everything that she has in relationship and hospitality towards Jesus. 
And the last thing that always happens around the table, it happened at Thanksgiving with you and it happens in this passage, is revelation takes place. Revelation takes place. And the same way that we reveal ourselves in conversation and did on Thanksgiving is the same way that Jesus reveals himself. And he begins to explain in verse 47 and verse 48, 49, and 50. That what this woman has done is not a waste, it's worship. That what she's doing is completely, not only is it understandable, it's because the Pharisee, the host, abdicated his role. Jesus doesn't let him off, off the hook. I mean, look, look back there. He looks right at him, and, 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 and he's, he confronts him. And then he forgives this woman of her sins. And then they say, who is this that he can forgive of sins? And Jesus doesn't even acknowledge the naysayers. And he just looks at her and says, your faith has made you whole. Because her faith was put in Jesus. She risked herself to get to Jesus. She was there, uninvited to be with Jesus. She's walking through this to be with Jesus. Hey, just a parenthetical time out. It doesn't matter how much money you give. It doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter what office you hold in the church. It doesn't matter what degree or platitude that you have. It does not matter. It's by faith that we are saved through grace and Jesus. It's by through, through grace and faith in Jesus Christ. Lest any of us will become boastful. It's not about our works. Do you understand that? It's not about me going to the priest and him absolving my sin. He has not the ability to absolve my sin. Why? Because Jesus Christ says that he's the great high priest. Hebrews says that, that, that he's the one that we go into the Father directly through the Son. I don't have to go to another man. I go directly to Jesus, and he's the one that washes my sins away. Because it doesn't have the ability. It's not about do I take communion or do I not take communion? Have I been in church or not been in church? It's not about all the rules of religion. It's about relationship. That's what the table's all about. And Luke keeps driving it over and over and over. It's about that the relationship that takes place at the, at the table where Jesus reveals himself over and over and over again, the same way we reveal ourselves in conversation, Jesus reveals that he is the Son of God and that he has the power to take sin away. Now I want to go to Luke. I want to go continue on in Luke's gospel to, verse, to chapter 22. The last time Jesus... We'll sit at the table. The exact same components happen. We know this is the Last Supper. Verse 17 of Luke chapter 22, verse 17. After taking the cup, he, Jesus, gives thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, here's what I want you to catch. Luke, over almost two dozen times, has been talking about this, this around-the-table experience. One-fifth of all the senses that he writes is around a meal, around the table. It's around this relationship. It's interesting to me that we... 2,000 years later, unbeknownst to us, sit around the table. And we're connected by relationship. At a table where we're replenished and where revelation, a revealing of who, what we, who and what we are, happens. 
Exactly what Jesus does every single time. Jesus brings the disciples to the last and the final time they'll sit around the table, this side of eternity. And they've eaten. There's replenishment. There's rest. There's food, the cup and the bread. There's relationship that binds them together. And then there's revelation that Jesus said, this is the last time I'm going to do this with you, this side of eternity. That's just why the marriage of the Lamb is so powerful. When we get to heaven, that forever we'll be with Jesus. And forever there'll be no parting. And forever life will be like the table. It'll be like the greatest Thanksgiving Day celebration you've ever had where the food will never run out, where there'll always be a seat for everybody, where you'll get to see everyone, you'll get to to interact with everyone, and that there will be incredible relationship at such a high level, and such revelation will overcome you. The Bible says in, in that day and time when we get to heaven that we will know as we are known. We will understand as God understands. We, 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 we not only will be created in his image and in his likeness, but without the frailties of this mortal body. And Jesus will tell them, In the same manner that I've done this, I want you to do this, verse 19, in remembrance of me. As often as you get together, Jesus says, I want you to gather around the table, and I want you to break the bread, which is a symbol of my body, and I want you to take the cup, which is a symbol of my blood, and I want you to nourish yourself and be replenished. I want you to understand that you're at that table out of of relationship, not just with each other, but with me, the, the Son, who gets you access to the Father. And I also want you to understand that the revelation that happens at the table, the revealing is that we are remembering who he is. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life, and that no man gets to the Father but through the Son. We are saying that, that, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. We are saying that there's no one else beside him or above him, that he is God. We, we, we began to join in with the chorus of the angels and sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The entire earth is full of his glory. But then we began to break into a chorus that the angels cannot sing. It's called the Song of the Redeemed. John the Revelator said, and on that day we will sing this song. Because we who once were lost are now found. We who once were blind can now see. We who once were affirmed and, 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 and just like that sinner woman, were uninvited to the table because we weren't good enough. We didn't have enough. Nobody wanted us, but Jesus did. And when we came into the room, Jesus didn't move. Jesus didn't pull back. But he allowed us to bow ourselves before him and to worship at his feet. And everybody else called it a waste, but he called it worship. And in that moment, we will sit around that table. That's what communion is about. Communion is not an action where you absolve your sins. You can't absolve your sins by taking a a wafer and taking some juice. It doesn't happen that way. No, it's a symbol of what Jesus Christ did, and we're to do it often so that we remember that Jesus Christ came to this earth and, and, and made of himself no reputation, and he wrapped himself in humanity, and he died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again. We're to remember that by his blood we are set free. It's by his stripes that we are healed and that we have life, not just today but in the hereafter. And where does communion take place? Around the table. The largest family dinner table ever assembled is the communion of God's church. So today what we're going to do is we end this service. We're going to take communion together. 
In just a few minutes, I'm going to pray. And then the ushers are going to come in just a few minutes after I pray. And they're going to pass the elements of the cup and of the, the bread. And I'm going to ask you to grab those. And if you don't feel comfortable with taking communion, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, just let the elements pass. Nobody's going to embarrass you or call you out. You don't have to be a member of Life Church or any church to take communion. Just be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It's not that my name is on some church membership role. It's that it's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then I'm going to come back together and I'm going to lead us and we're going to take communion together. Father, I just thank you today. I thank you today for the replenishment, the relationship, and the revelation that only happens from you. I thank you today that, Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, we're way more like the sinner, the woman, the uninvited guest who comes in than we are the one seated at the table. And Father, I just pray today that you, in these next few minutes, as we still our hearts and we reflect upon you, that on this Thanksgiving weekend, at the beginning of this Christmas holiday season, that we just share our gratitude to you for the body and for the cup, for the bread and the blood that it symbolizes. In Jesus' name. Amen.